So on our recent trip to the West Coast, I was expecting to enjoy seeing the redwoods. Um, have you seen the redwoods? I was expecting to enjoy them. Um, before, the, before the trip, I had read up enough on Wikipedia to know the basic gist of the matter, which is that they are big, um, <laughs> they are old, and that people generally uh, enjoy looking at them. So uh, we're driving along Highway 101, the very northern part of California, and the guidebook says that we get off on the Avenue of the Redwoods, and so we did, we got off on the Avenue of the Redwoods, and the guidebook said that we could pull off and walk around in any number of groves of redwoods that are along the road there. And so we did. We saw the first marker for the first grove and we got out of the car in a little parking lot. And almost immediately, y'all, I was um, extremely underwhelmed. Uh, I, I, I looked around the, the parking lot and I saw these larger than average pine trees. And I was like, you know, these are larger than average, but they're not that much larger than pine trees I've, pine trees I've seen in, say, like Mississippi, or, or you know, where there are lots of pine trees. And so I was underwhelmed. Uh, then we walked into the forest, uh, about 10 or 20 yards, and, and this is what I saw. And, and then this. And just to give you some perspective on it, that's what I saw, right? I, I went from being underwhelmed to being like gobsmacked and not able to find any words at all, right? Um, I walked around, if you need some perspective on life itself or in your life, just go visit the redwoods and stand under one of those trees, all right? So um, I walked around in that first grove for an hour. My neck hurt from looking, this is all I did for an hour. I, uh, I, I, I came to understand, finally, why people hug trees. Uh, <laughs> I really did. I was like, this, this totally makes sense. Uh, I, I, I couldn't find words. My, my veins were flowing with, with, with wonder and praise, but I, I couldn't find any words. I really couldn't. The only word I could find was, and I'm just saying it throughout this show, like, God, God. Have you ever known that feeling? That feeling of being on the inside of something so big, on the inside, you know what I'm talking about, on the inside of something so grand, on the inside of something that is so much more than you, and you are so infinitesimally small, but not like unimportant, bad small. You are so small, and you are so connected to this thing that you find yourself gloriously on the inside of. You know what I'm talking about, that feeling, that big thing? The Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church at Rome. We call it, that book, we call that letter Romans, for short. And it's a letter addressing some of the particular things that were going down in that Christian community. Only about 50 to 200 people, 50 to 200 Christians in that little, little church, the only church in Rome. 50 to 100 in the, in the context of a city of a million. Rome, the capital, you know, of the Roman Empire. And as Paul writes to this community, he eventually addresses these issues that he's writing going to write them about. We'll get, we'll get into that in the sermon series that we're, we're engaging in starting today. But before he, he gets into like the particular point by point of the things he wants them to know, before he like comes in like a consultant, it's like, this is your problem, do this. This is your problem, do this. This is your problem, do this. Before he does any of that, at the very beginning, he starts by testifying to them, by testifying to this big thing that he wants them to know they are on the inside of. And that big thing is the gospel. In Greek, which is the language that Paul was writing in, 
the word for, that we translate for gospel is euangelion. If you remember our sermon series last month on evangelism, uh, euangelion is the word from which we get evangelism. It means, if you, have, if you literally translate euangelion, it means, anyone want to translate it literally? Violet? Violet's our evangelism chair. Good news, right? That's the big thing of the gospel. That's the good news. That is the gospel. That's the big thing that Paul wants them to know about. It's the thing he spends this whole first part of Romans talking about. Did you hear it? Did you hear it at the beginning? This gospel that he says has been hatched by God for a really, really long time. It's not just something that started in the first century. It's something that God hatched a long time ago. It's been on the lips, the cracked lips of the prophets for generations. It's been running through generations of the royal family tree of David, which I have to say is more described as sort of the trashy family tree of David. Um, didn't any of you come from a trashy family tree? Uh, I mean, if, you, if you're American, it's highly likely that you did. Uh, I'm sure some of you are like, I come from a very fine family. Just go back a couple of generations if, if you need to. But if you, if you came from a, a trashy family, Know that uh, Jesus also did, all right? Came from a trashy family. This Jesus was born, uh, this is what Paul is talking about. All This thing that God hatched a long time ago that's been running through now is born in Jesus, who was born in the first century, and who lives and teaches and ministers and heals and then dies and rises from the dead to show us, Paul says, this gospel, to demonstrate for us this gospel, to model for it, model it for us, yes, but more than that, more than just to show it to us or image it for us or model it for us, to do more than that, but to actually transfuse the good news into our veins. This is more than something we see and try to do. It certainly can be that. That's great. That's an ethic, all right? This is something more, Paul is saying, that this thing, this big thing that happened God is putting it metaphysically in some mysterious way into our very veins, into our very being. That's the big thing that Paul is talking about. You can see why he might be um, pretty excited about it, because it's pretty cool. <laughs> that thing, that big, capacious, expansive thing is the fuel and the frame and the undergirding for everything else that is important, Paul says. The gospel, he goes on at the end of the little section that... Um, we heard read today by Sarah. He goes on to say, that gospel is the power of God for salvation. Just think about it. That gospel, that big thing, is the power of God for salvation. We are on the inside of that. It is in some mysterious way on the inside of us. That's what Paul claimed in the first century. And in some audacious way, we still claim that today. When Rich welcomed you in to worship, every Sunday at Urban Village, we say, we are bold, rooted in the what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. We still make that crazy first century claim. One writer says that 90% of people seem to be living 90% of their lives on the surface of things. 90% of people seem to be living 90% of their lives on cruise control. That's me sometimes. Is that you sometimes? Obsessed by the veneer so much because you're scared of going to the depths? Fueled by the eternal, invidious comparison of yourself with absolutely everybody else? 
Is that you sometimes? That's me sometimes. Clamoring for advancement because that's just what, why, why am I clamoring? That's just what you do. We're often unconscious of that crap, but even when we're unconscious of it, y'all, it still runs us. You know what I say when it runs us? It runs us. Unconsciously, it is the thing that motivates us. And Paul's like, to the Romans, to us, Paul's like, y'all, there is something so, there is something so much bigger, there is something so much more on offer. Something big has happened, something big is happening, the power of God for salvation, something. So much more is on offer. Find your own metaphor. It's like walking into a grove of redwoods. What? God. I asked one of the park rangers, I think I read on Wikipedia, these trees are pretty old. <laughs> what are we talking? Five, six hundred years? She laughed. I said, what? A thousand years? She said, the old growth trees in this forest the ones that have never been cut down for logging, we're talking 1,500 to 2,500 years old. You think about that. Some of these trees were born before Jesus was born. You think about that. You let yourself get caught up in that. You are caught up in the, the goodness and the grandness that has been radiating out from God since before the beginning radiating out in the creation, radiating out on the lips of those cracked-lipped prophets, radiating through all of our trashy family trees, and finally through Jesus. And you just find yourself looking up and overawed, and the only word you can find for any of it is God. We're starting this new sermon series today, and we're going to over the next month and a half, we're going to dive in to this big thing. Right? We're going to dive into it. We're going to preach through Romans in six weeks. It's a pretty fast clip, actually, because it's 16 chapters. But we're going to preach through it, and we're going to explore all the different contours of this big thing, this gospel-powered salvation. And we're calling the series, I don't know if you saw it on Facebook or on our e-news this week, we're calling the series Road Trip Through Romans. Because... Uh, if you don't know this, I'm here to tell you, Romans, y'all, is a trip. It is a trip. Um, I invite you, if you haven't read it, I invite you to take the opportunity this summer in the next six weeks to read through the 16th chapter, 16 chapters, read through it. Um, it is a trip. It is beautiful. It is twisty. It is complicated. It is rhetorically dense. And uh, it's, like, um, it's like one of those travel maps that some of us, if we're a little older, maybe used to have in the glove compartment. I know not everyone has the iPhone, but there used to be a thing called a travel map in the glove compartment. And you pull it out, and you, you, you know, this is, Romans is sort of like this. You pull it out, and you, you, know, you open the travel map, and you're like, okay. But then you keep, you know, opening the map, that's, and it just gets to this thing that's all over your car. Like, that's Romans, right? You think you're, it's like you're on a journey, and you think you know where you're going. You're on this road, and then, oh, you know, like, that's, that's Romans. <laughs> so the whole book of Romans is like that. It's a trip. Apostle Paul is an amazing tour guide. Uh, he says all kinds of troubling things, right? Um, just get ready. And, and, and this is, in some sense, the contours uh, of salvation. So get ready. 
Um, the whole book of, of Romans is a map, but also even at the beginning, even if you heard Sarah, if you listen to Sarah read the Word of God today, the Scripture, even the beginning of the book, the first little section of that first chapter, even that is a map. It's like a mini map. Um, Paul draws this map at the beginning of his of his letter to orient us, and he puts one of those little those little pointers on it. But you know, he draws this little mini map and like, you are here. Okay? You are here. This is his like opening salvo to Romans. He talks about this big thing, and then he's like, you are here. And the first place that he wants to know, he wants the church at Rome to know that they are, the first place he wants all of us to know that we are, is the first place that he wants us to know we are is in God. Alright? You listen to that scripture reading, the first, the first uh, section is that map where Paul describes this covenant of God that God has made from the beginning and how it has been running and how it is coming and, and is fulfilled in, in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. But it's not just there. All throughout uh, the book, uh, Paul keeps referring to God. Throughout this whole description of this salvation process, Paul keeps saying, God, 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 like 46 times, in the book of Romans, Paul comes back and refers to God, which is a ton of times compared to the other letters that he writes, right? He's just throughout the book, 46 times, God, 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 God. The gospel is the power of God for salvation, Paul wants us to know. This is not a power, y'all, that I can cop through some admixture of my, you know, fashion and good looks and winning personality and intelligence and excellent resume, right? It's not. That's not the power Paul's talking about. I don't want to diss on that power, but that's not the power Paul is talking about. That is a different kind of, this is a different kind of power. The gospel is the personality, the, the power of God. A lot of times when Christians, when we talk about salvation, which is another thing we're going to be exploring this month and a half, a lot of times when we talk about salvation, we define salvation as um, Rich, Rich Haven was actually blogging about this this week. We define salvation as um, uh, the time when someone decides that they're going to follow Jesus. Have you heard someone say before, like, I'm saved? And what that means for most people when they say that was the time they accepted Jesus when they made a decision to follow Jesus in their lives. And I'm going to be on the record. Uh, I think that is absolutely wonderful. Uh, we are all about people... Uh, making a decision to follow Jesus Christ. At Urban Village, we are pro-people making a decision to follow Jesus Christ. We think that's wonderful. Um, but, but, or and, I could say, according to Paul, salvation is not, first and foremost, our human decision to follow Jesus Christ. Salvation, it involves that. But salvation is, first and foremost, primarily, is God's power, doing something unto us. It is God's power doing something in us. It is God's power to bring us into something big. And I want to say, like, of course, of course, eventually it will involve our own work. It will involve our own decision. It will involve our own intention. Something we're going to say about this salvation thing in the next six weeks is that it's, it's actually, salvation is actually much more of a process. Biblically, it's much more of a process than it is a one-time decision. Um, and so that process will eventually invite me to say yes 
or invite me to say no. It will invite my own attention. It will invite my own attention. It will invite and challenge my own work. It will say, yeah, you've got some participation to do in this big thing that I am bringing about. But let us remember at the outset, this is what Paul is I think, trying to say, is that all of our responses um, to that big thing are our responses. They are, that is to say, powered not by us, but by this thing that is happening. Right? So God, basically Paul's saying, God's always making the first move. God made the first move. It's called the Big Bang. Uh, and God continues to make the first move over and over and over and over again. And so any response we make um, is motivated and fueled, whether we're conscious of it or not, by the indwelling of God's power in us. That's not to say that our power is bad at all. It's human power. It's great. Aligned with God's power. Right? So more on that in to come. Um, I, I love, I'm going to say, I love to talk about myself. Um, I know y'all, I know you like to talk about yourselves. That's, and I, what I say is like, that is a huge and important part of salvation, right? Anybody who tells you different is lying to you, right? Ask any good preacher, any good therapist will tell you, yeah, you've got to learn to talk about yourself and understand yourself in the context. That's crucial spiritual work. I'm not negating that. I'm just saying what we're saying is that, um, uh, our salvation, our healing, our restoration, our becoming fully alive, whatever metaphor or terminology you want to use, that doesn't start by you figuring yourself out. That starts by God making the first move. That's awesome. The other place Paul wants the church to know they are is in, you know, you're here. So the first place Paul wants us to know is where we are in God. The second place Paul wants us to know we are is in Rome. Uh, at least to the Romans, he writes to them. To God's beloved, he says, he writes, to God's beloved in Rome. Um, uh, Paul writes a lot of letters to a lot of churches in a lot of different places. But this is, scholars have said, and it's true, the most masterful of Paul's letters. It is something he spent a lot of time on. It's something, it's not like he just jotted this down. Like, this is a complicated theological masterpiece. It's beautiful. It's much longer than his other letters. It's much more dense. It's much more theologically nuanced. So what's going on here? Uh, why is Paul writing, to, why, writing this to Rome, right? So one thing I want to say is like, it's because, just a reminder, that when we talk about salvation, we talk about spiritual things, we're always talking about these things in relationship to our lived lives, where we live lives, right? So it's not like, I'm writing to you Romans about this thing called salvation, which is going to happen outside of your lived context. No. Paul's like, I'm writing, I'm writing to you about this thing called salvation, which is happening where you are right now, to, to all God's beloved in Rome. It's not like to all God's beloved in some like heaven light years away. It's to all God's beloved in Rome. Uh, to all God's beloved, you know what I'm saying? Like to all God's beloved in Chicago. Uh, what, what would that letter be like? Hmm, that's an interesting question. But what's so important about Rome? Like, why does Paul pull out all the stops? Why, why does he use so much time and so much energy to get his point across in Rome? I'm going to say more about them this weeks to come. But for now, I just want you to remember this. I said at the beginning, just remember, Rome is the center of the Roman Empire. It's the capital of the empire. This huge, this vast empire. It's a powerful empire, right? How long did Rome last? Like, how many? Like, four or five centuries? Six centuries? Is that right? It's, it's huge, right? Longer than America has by two or three times, right? That's sort of, that's another sermon. But anyway, uh, Rome is at the center of the Roman Empire. 
and more particularly, Rome is at the center of uh, is the center of justice for the entire Roman Empire. It's where Caesar's imperial courts are. It's where uh, Caesar is. It's where uh, decisions are made. It's where policy is made. It's where judgments are made uh, to try to sort out the problems of the empire. And so as Paul writes his masterpiece of theology on, on gospel-powered salvation, he is making, I believe, a not subtle contrast between the salvation that comes from God and the salvation that Rome purports to dispense. He's reminding the church, not just in Rome, I think, the church, if it's salvation you're looking for, if it's healing you're looking for, if it's justice you're looking for, uh, you will not ultimately find it in Caesar's courts. You will not ultimately find it in the Gospel of Caesar, which was apparently a thing, the Evangelion of Caesar. You will find it only, finally, ultimately, in the Gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul says. Our salvation is not run by us. Our salvation is not run by Rome. Our salvation is not run by America. Sometimes America, America gets it right. Sometimes America gets it wrong. That's how it works. But it doesn't run our salvation. So I'm at the end of the first sermon in the sermon series on salvation, and I haven't really said what salvation is yet. Uh, we keep talking about it, but what is it? Well, that's where we have a six-week sermon series, not just one sermon. But um, I just want to say this as, I, um, as we move into it. A lot of times when we talk about salvation, sort of related to that, like salvation is this time that I made a decision, a lot of times when we talk about salvation, we, we, we sort of mean, we sort of think of it as a program. Uh, salvation is a program that uh, fixes one thing, right? There's a problem. Salvation is a program that fixes that one problem. Uh, if your problem is you're lost, then salvation helps you become found. If, you're, if, you, if you are, if you are, uh, uh, you, you fill in the blank, right? And, and, and so, like, you were drowning with salvation, now you're rescued. Right? You were sick, now you're being healed. You were blind, now you're seeing. You were lost, now you're found. You didn't know Jesus, now you know Jesus. You were addicted, and now you're becoming clean and sober, and you're not using it anymore. You were afraid, you were ashamed, and now you are brimming with courage. You were locked up, and now you're free. You were oppressed, and now you're being liberated. You, you had no song. But now you find yourself singing in the shower. You had no way. But now you find yourself walking through all of it, day by day. That is how we have generally thought about salvation. It's like, and generally, depending on who we are and our own stories and our own theologies and our own family systems and our own church experience, all that stuff, we will tend to gravitate toward one of those programs, right? Like, people say, oh, I'm more of a, I was grounding and now I'm rescued person. Some people are like, oh, I'm more of a, like, I had no song to sing, but now i got a song to sing person. I, I think all those are great, right? I love that. But I think what Paul is talking about is actually a lot more expansive than just whatever program you might personally be drawn to. I think what Paul is talking about is something much bigger. One of the writers I love, he offers this deep, deep analogy. It's very postmodern. Uh, Paul Hahn was saying it's very, very millennial metaphor. Um, he says, 
that biblical salvation, this is the writer, not Paul, Paul probably agrees. Uh, you do, thank you. Biblical salvation, gospel-powered salvation is not merely a program that fixes one problem, but is rather, listen, is rather an entire operating system that God downloads into us. An entire operating system that God downloads not just into me and you or us together, but actually God is downloading into the entire creation, into the whole world. And this is meant not just to fix one slender problem or one line of code or one thing, though all that's part of it, but is in some mysterious way able to connect and coalesce and fuel and power um, all of that stuff at the same time. Like an operating system does, right? And so it's not just one thing, but all these things that God is trying to give us. Healing, justice, reconciliation, all the things that God wants to give us, it's all being coordinated and, and fueled by this operating system. That is salvation. That is justice. That is joy. That is Jesus. That is so many big things. I love that. I love that. I actually do think that's what Paul is trying to talk to us about today in the first chapter of Romans. I think that he has, he has pre-modern language for it. He doesn't have post-modern computer language for it. But I think that's, that's what he's saying. I think that's what he's trying to get at. That this thing that we are on the inside of. Like we are on the inside of it. We are small and we are connected. Our little lines of code that are our lives for 60 or 70 or 80 years, hugely important, but connected to something. I find that so awesome and humbling. And if we can feel that, if we can understand that in some sense, if we can grapple with that feeling of like what it's like to be caught up in something outside of yourself that's big, way bigger than you but also includes you, if you can feel that kind of feeling, for me with the Redwoods, I don't know what it is for you, but if you can feel that, then from that place, you are in the perfect place to understand as we dive into all these micro-technologies in the next four or five weeks about how salvation works. You start from that place you'll be able to sort of feel your way into it. Which is a lot different than me sort of giving you five lectures, like, here's the technologies of salvation, do these things, right? Yeah, but if this, then that stuff makes sense. Does that make sense? So, uh, it reminds me of the story that one preacher tells of being a young boy. And he was taken out uh, by his father one night, one summer night, into the backyard, and they lay down on the grass there and looked at the stars, in the summer night. And his dad said to him, Son, how far can you think? The boy said, What? His dad said, How far can you think? Well, I don't know what you mean, Dad. Just think as far as you can. Just think up as far as you can, as far as you can, up towards the stars. Just think as far as you can. And the boy said, I'm thinking, thinking, thinking. Dad said, think as far as you can think. The boy said, I'm thinking as far as I can think. His dad said, okay, now, are you there? Yeah, I'm there. Now, drive a stake down out there. Think as far as you can think, and then in your mind, drive down a stake to mark where you are in the night sky. Have you driven down the stake? That's how far you can think? Yes, sir, that's what I've done. Now his dad says, what's on the other side of the stake? The boy said, well, there's more sky. His dad said, okay, let's move the stake. 
and they spent the whole night under the summer stars moving the stake farther and farther and farther out into the sky. I think that's what the power of God feels like. I think that's the texture of the quality of salvation. I think that's the bigger and bigger and more glorious and more glorious thing that's saying to us, so much more is on offer. So much more is on offer. Let's pray. God, help us take your invitation. We offer ourselves to you because you have offered yourself to us. Relieve us of all that limits and locks us up. Fill us with your gospel that puts power into our veins, power and verve and sass and humility and laughter and joy and mercy and anger and justice and Jesus into our veins. Save us with your ever-expanding vision. Amen.